what brings me to the issue of of multifamily home ownership, or as I tell my parents, you know, it's like condos and stuff. <laughs> Welcome to episode three of Housing After Dark. I am Alex Shaffron. Every episode of this podcast is special, and everybody who appears on the podcast means something to me, either personally or through the work that they do. But this episode is a bit different because for the first time, it features work that I'm doing, and not work that I've done in my past, but work that is a current part of Shaffron Strategies, my consulting firm, uh, and a partnership that we have been building with California Community Builders for the last year and a half. The subject of this report out last week and coming out in webinar form next week, May 31st, is multifamily homeownership, all of the ways in which human beings in California can and do own homes together. Sometimes it looks like a big condominium. Sometimes it looks like a community land trust. Sometimes it looks just like an intergenerational family living together in a home where the lines of who owns what are sometimes a bit blurry. This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart, something that comes out of a long engagement with housing tenure, which was the subject of the most recent Substack newsletter. Uh, and it's a real pleasure to work with somebody like Adam Brionos, who's my guest, and California community builders on a real exploration. We'll talk about it in the podcast about how we dug into material that we didn't fully understand and we still don't fully understand. It's one of those rare research projects where we didn't necessarily know the answer when we started doing the research and where I think everybody that's been part of this project has learned an immense amount. So stay tuned for my interview with Adam Brionis, one of the nicest, one of the smartest, and the most dedicated people in California housing. Anybody who knows him will tell you that. And it's a real honor to have him not only on the podcast, but as a research partner and somebody I'm really excited to work with on housing issues in California for many years to come. Adam Briones, uh, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hey, Alex. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So this is the first episode of Housing After Dark to feature somebody that I am actively working with. I'm really excited about having you here and to talk about our multifamily homeownership report. Uh, but like with all of the guests uh, on Housing After Dark, I want to start with you. So uh, you're from Oakland. How did you become a houser? Tell us a little bit about your journey that I know takes you to New York City like so many of us. Yeah, man. So my family's been in Oakland for like 100 years. Uh we left Northern Mexico and we're just like, Oakland, that's, a, that's the place for us. <laughs> um, I went to undergrad at UC Santa Cruz. And then when I got back, I, I kind of fell into a job, luckily, um, for me at least, uh, at the Greenlighting Institute. Um, stayed there for about four years. And that's kind of where I got my start on housing issues. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I've always, even if I don't know that I always come off this way, like, consider myself a racial justice activist, like a social justice activist. And I think housing for me has always just been like a an interesting, cool thing that just like fits. My dad and all of his brothers uh, were contractors and builders. Uh, my dad's from San Bernardino and his family's been there as long as my mom's family's been in Oakland. Um, and so kind of growing up, like when, when my dad sort of changed careers, he was fixing up houses for a little while. So I, I have like a lot of distinct memories of like random houses in Oakland uh, playing in like the front yard as him and his brothers were like fixing stuff up. Um, and so I feel like housing's always had like a real emotional sort of DNA aspect for me. And then, you know, I was lucky enough to, to work on like an affordable home ownership development out in uh, Fresno County in Fireball uh, when I was when I was at Greenlining back in like, you know, 2008, 2009. And then I went to grad school, went to grad school for uh, urban planning. And, you know, at that point I was like, I'm going to be an affordable housing developer. That's going to be my career forever. So I took a bunch of classes and felt really bad about myself because I didn't know math and had to learn Excel and all this stuff, um, but just like learned a ton. Um, and then did uh, a fellowship in DC for a year with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And then, you know, got lucky enough to fall into a fellowship with the New York City Housing Finance Agencies um, after that, and then spent the remainder of the decade uh, in affordable housing finance and development in New York, um, and then came back and decided that, you know, I really missed advocacy, really missed public policy, um, you know, came back to greenlining after, after about a decade, 
Um, and then was lucky enough uh, after that to be invited by uh, John Gamboa, who founded Relining and the organization that I run now, California Community Builders, uh, to come take over CCB uh, after he retired. So that's kind of the long and short of it, but it feels like a winding career path. But my wife reminds me I've basically been doing mostly the same thing the entirety of my career. So yeah, it's been cool. It's really interesting. I spent a lot of time with Housers and I talked to them about their origin stories. You know, We're an incredibly diverse field. But there are certain themes that you start to hear. And one of these is this history and tradition of families in the business. Now, this is something that can be good or bad. I mean, sometimes the real estate industry can be really, really insular. Um, you talked about your family being in the business. I have a similar story with my grandfather growing up uh, in the business, working on a construction site in Bayo, New Jersey. It was his uncle's business and something that as immigrants from Europe that they had gotten into uh, when they moved to the United States. There's also this commonality of New York City. I think there's something about housing in New York that's just different from housing in most of America. And I think a lot of us who are interested in housing end up there and we learn. You know, New York as a city is a really important part of our housing history. And it's something that I know you and I have bonded over and as we both have with many other folks. You know, I, I do think it's interesting that like sort of home building, um, housing in general seems to really like it's it's like a, a career that a lot of like recent immigrants take up. And it's it really is that sort of thing that if you want to work really hard and 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 sort of, you know, grind it out like that's that's a real career that you can build for yourself. So no, I, I think a lot of folks I've talked to, um, that's like when when we came to the United States, that's what we did. And, and I do think that's that's, yeah, a really interesting one. There's a certain kind of global commonality to it. I mean, we, you know, we may build, you have to learn more how to build with wood than with cement and other things that change. But uh, yeah, it's a really important thing. And it's something that's been accessible. I think it's also the diversity of all the different jobs and tasks that we have in housing, right? From building to real estate to sale, you know, selling to renting to building maintenance and management. Um, it's a very open and very big space. So you mentioned green lighting, and I know that a lot of, your work in housing uh, connects to your origins and kind of questions around access to wealth and credit and banking and all of the parts of the, the kind of economic system that Greenlining has brought a kind of really important racial justice lens to for now almost 50 years, right? I believe. Um, I think 30. But, 30 years. Which is still quite quite good amount of time. So tell me a little bit about this kind of how you approach things when it comes to the racial wealth gap and, and, and how you see home ownership playing a role in this question. Just because I think we live in a really complicated world and we do need fairly diverse and complicated solutions. And so for me, and, and you can you know see it reflected in the work we do at CCB, you know, I, I really do think that to make a difference for communities of color and, and other folks that have been systemically marginalized, we need a couple different things. And, and so for me, it's like everybody needs a safe place to live, you know, just point blank, like everybody needs a roof over their head. And that that place needs to be affordable and it needs to be uh, safe and, and of high quality. Um, but then, you know, because of the society that we live in and, and sort of the economic system that we have, you know, it's really hard to get ahead unless you have some amount of wealth. And wealth is just your assets, less your debts. And, you know, because of the way in which our economic and social and political history have played out, people of color have really been denied that opportunity um, in almost every instance throughout our country's history. And so the work that we do at bottom is to really just give people of color an opportunity to build wealth, to have the same opportunities that most other communities have had. And for us, we, we've sort of kind of honed in and focused on, you know, this really imperfect but powerful solution of home ownership um, because of the importance it's played in our society, because of the way in which our economic system is really oriented and sort of built to support it in general. Um, you know, that's really the area that we see ourselves making the biggest difference. And, and I feel really good about that work because it's also just played such an important and central role in my own family's history. Yeah, I really appreciate how, how you bring this to, to your work on, on homeownership. Um, there's a, a blog, and we'll link to this, you know, for, for those who are, re who are reading this version online of, of the podcast. And, you know, you'll, you'll see Adam's writing about homeownership. 
I think in your in your blog from late last year, you do something that not enough people, I think, do in the homeownership space, which is to kind of admit the complexity, right? To talk about how homeownership isn't inherently good or inherently bad, how it can do real harm, but that it can also uh, be brilliant for many people. Um, I, you know, again, uh, I, I am a homeowner myself right now. I have grew up in a homeowned house and it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing for, for me, for my parents, uh, and for my grandparents. Um, it really made the, you know, my grandparents were both, uh, children of immigrants, you know, born in the lower East, born in Brooklyn, or the lower East side of the Bronx and, and, and homeownership was really transformative for them, but you're not shy about, admitting the challenges. How did you get to this point where you were able to to talk about homeownership or talk about these things without either having to paint a rosy picture of it or always being kind of overly critical and overly negative? I mean, in some ways, maybe it's just me intellectualizing my own self-doubt. But I, I do kind of like, I mean, I, I feel like I have an instinctual distrust with of any idea that's presented as like, this is it. This is how we fix it. This is this is the way to go. And, you know, I do think that like everything in life, like, you know, most things are complicated and most things have trade-offs and most solutions have some amount of gray area. And, and I think, you know, similar to you, um, and, and maybe that's why we, you know, over, overlap so much in terms of our uh, policy interests is that, you know, my parents were the first homeowners in their family and it created a really good, stable situation for me and my sister. I think if you look broadly speaking, especially uh, at the past 20 years and, and that period in you know, 2008, 2010, um, there are a lot of people that didn't have a good experience with homeownership. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. And it, it really does a disservice to the work that I do, you do, and a lot of people do to pretend like we, we have like this perfect solution. But I do think that overall, when we think about, you know, what it is that builds wealth in America that people have access to and that provides, you know, the most benefit with the least risk and is actually borne out and is and is borne out, you know, in reality in terms of like real tangible benefits. I, I can't find anything better than home ownership. And, and I think to me, it doesn't, you know, detract from the overall benefits to acknowledge the 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 drawbacks of it and to acknowledge the way it doesn't work. And I think, you know, I, I can think of a lot of people that don't support home ownership, or at least uh, don't support it as a broad-based public policy that I agree with, and that I, I think bring up a lot of good issues that need to be solved. And I, I think that the only difference is that for them, you know, that's kind of just where the conversation ends, and they they you know put forward other policy solutions. And for me, it's like okay, let's let's identify and acknowledge those uh, defects and and those problems, and then let's fix them, and let's make it as good as it for for people of color as it has been for everybody else. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this has, you know, been a huge theme, I think, in a lot of my work. We have a tendency in America to create these programs and we or create these massive projects like homeownership or suburbia or whatever you have it. And we do it in a really racist way or we do it in a really environmentally insensitive way or both like the production of suburbia. And so people recognize that and they rebel against that and they push back and they critique but instead of just replacing that with a, a, a less racist and a less environmentally insensitive version of the same, getting the good things out of it, we kind of blow up the system, right? And then it becomes this big ideological fight between homeownership is good and then homeownership is bad. Uh, and it doesn't get to the fact that um, if we just fix the system <laughs> uh, and made a homeownership system that was less racist uh, and that was less environmentally uh, exploitative, that that we would be able to produce some really great things. When I, I went out to start researching the road to resegregation, the, um, the, it was the same story. The foreclosure crisis was the same sort of story of like just creating another racially unequal part of the housing system. And it was a reaction to the post-war era, which was also dysfunctional uh, and also really racist. And that was really just sort of sad to see history repeat itself in just a very different geography. Uh, deep out in Antioch and various other places as opposed to in inner city America. So the other thing I've always appreciated about your perspective on homeownership, which is why I think you and I now work together on this project, is I think that we both appreciate the diversity of homeownership types, that homeownership is really can be and should be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it's not just single family homes and suburbia. There are a lot of different ways to own a house. 
Um, and there's a lot of different ways, I think, to create home ownership, which is what I think brought us together around multifamily home ownership. Uh, so before we get too much farther on this thing called multifamily home ownership for our audience, how do you define multifamily home ownership? What does it mean for California community builders? Yeah. So, you know, we have a, a formal definition in the report, but to me, it's really when, you know, two or more households, two or more families come together and own a share, a portion, or a, a unit in the same building that they all live in. So it can look a lot of different ways, but as long as we stick with that basic definition of two households, two families, two friends coming together, buying a portion of the building they all live in, uh, for themselves, then then I think that's something that we can all kind of get behind as a definition. So this is a definition that's based on the number of families, right? Not the number of units. You can have multifamily home ownership in a single family home, correct? Exactly. And actually, you know, when I think about sort of my parents and and their road to home ownership, one of the ways that they started, um, you know, down that journey is is buying a buying a house with their friends or with their friend and and sort of splitting it down the middle as a example of informal home ownership. And, and that's something that's actually been pretty central to, to my family's history. And for those that are following along, we will have a webinar on May 31st that folks are welcome to, to take a look at. There's a lot of information in, in the multifamily home ownership report. Uh, so if some of the details aren't entirely clear from this podcast, please take your time. Come visit us on the webinar, take a look at the report, and you can always get in touch uh, and we'll talk more about it. So multifamily home ownership, may be something relatively small, maybe something informal, for instance, like we talked about a single family home that's owned by a couple different families. But it also includes, you know, more standard definitions like condominiums, community land trucks and alternatives. Can you tell us a little bit more about sort of all the different types of multifamily home ownership that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's it's a lot of what you just mentioned. So, you know, the the most common example of multifamily home ownership uh, that you'll find here in California and throughout the United States is, is a condominium. It's a, a building where um, households buy a unit in the building, they own it, uh, but there are shared walls and there's a homeowners association, uh, but you have a traditional mortgage, uh, you pay taxes. So it's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward process in that respect. Uh, and then you have things like community land trusts, um, which can be something like one family owns a share in a building or, or they own a, a unit in the building and the community land trust owns the, uh, the ground underneath it. Um, and then there's things like tenancies in common, which, uh, you know, a family owns a, a share of a building um, along with other families. Uh, and then you have things like informal home ownership, where, you know, perhaps me and my sister someday would buy a home together, uh, per, you know, with her partner and my wife. And, and we all agree that uh, when we buy the house, we each put in 50% of the cost. And when we sell the house, we, we get 50% of the profit, something like that. So we can, it can look a lot of different ways, but fundamentally... Um, it's when, when people come together and, and buy something together. One of the things that was most enjoyable and exciting about doing this report is I think that for both of us, we discovered, you know, more and more different types, different forms of multifamily homeownership. I discovered it all throughout my neighborhood and talking to friends and colleagues, um, both in terms of people who had actually created these things informally or who were struggling with the realities of being a multifamily homeowner in the in the current era. Um, and I think it's just really opened my eyes to all the different and diverse ways uh, in which people are living. One of the things that's in the report that I encourage people to take a look at are the kind of eight reasons why multifamily homeownership matters. And one of them that is important to me is the fact that this is a relatively under-researched uh, and understudied uh, area. You won't find as much data in this report as I think either you or I would have liked to have put because so much of the data just isn't captured. Um, and we're working with our colleagues at the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank about a, a more in-depth data study uh, that pulls the best data that we can find at it. But it's just really, it's still something that is, rel I think, relatively hidden and underappreciated uh, in California in particular, but in throughout the United States as a whole. What for you are some of the other key reasons why multifamily homeownership is so important and why CCB has put its time and energy and resources behind encouraging people to think more about it? 
Yeah. Well, you know, you, you've already listed one of the main eight and, and really we've spent so much time on this report happily um, that, that the other seven are very much drilled into my brain. So I, I think first and foremost, the biggest issues for us are first, it's just how a lot of Americans live today. Like, like it's just accepting reality for what it is, which is that plenty of Americans, um, you know, the, their form of home ownership is this, this multifamily home ownership. And we should really accept that as a very valid and, and productive way to create wealth for all Americans. And then second, you know, when you look at the national landscape, it's just really prevalent in communities of color. You know, the Asian American community, the Black community, Latino community. Um, this is a form of home ownership that we like, that we feel comfortable with, and that for economic reasons, cultural reasons, what have you, it, it's prevalent in our communities. And, you know, while um, the numbers are a little different in here in California, uh, it's not quite as common for African Americans and for Latinos as it, as it is in uh, other parts of the country, it, it is just something that I think really speaks to communities of color for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, I, I, I think another big one for us is that, you know, it's a it's a real key part of these conversations we're having around the path forward for California in terms of the housing crisis and, and in terms of land use reforms. Fact of the matter is we need more housing everywhere. We need different types of housing. But not every every plot, not every site is going to make for an economically viable uh, rental development. Some areas, because of the price, because of the market, because of the community, are, are fundamentally probably better situated as home ownership opportunities. And we want to make sure that when people think about home ownership, they're not just thinking single family homes. They're thinking this denser, um, more, uh, I, I think, you know, um, accessible form of home ownership. Um, and then I think somewhat related to that is like, as anyone who has spent even a minute in California's sort of housing uh, policy ecosystem, these are contentious issues. And, and they tend to drive people who otherwise agree about social issues, about policy issues, they tend to drive them far apart. And we really think that this could be an issue that brings people together. We think it could bring together folks that are pro-housing, pro-housing production, bring together folks that really care about wealth building in communities of color, bringing together people, frankly, who really care about the environment and who want to see uh, more environmentally sustainable development um, and, frankly, business. Like, there are folks out there who want to build more houses, who want to build more units, who want to make more loans. Like, there's a way for most everybody to win in this. And, and we really want to see people come together in, in sort of a bin, big tent issue, if you will, or big multifamily home ownership issue, if you will. Um, and then I think, you know, fundamentally, and this is very much related to why we think it's important for communities of color, you know, multifamily home ownership units, uh, you know, that we see on the market today, and, and I'll just use condos as an, as an example, they just tend to be less expensive. And there's no, there's nothing magic about it. The, these units are a more efficient use of space. Um, when you're a family that's buying uh, uh, an MHO unit, you're not buying as much land, you're not paying uh, uh, for, for as much um, house overall. Um, and so this gives an opportunity for folks that want to, to get into home ownership, that want to buy their home, uh, but don't perhaps have the, the money or the ability to take on a mortgage uh, for the traditional sized home, the traditional single family home. It gives an opportunity to, to have what other folks have. And we think that while there's no magic bullet, there's no, there's no one tool that solves every problem, that this is a really important um, this is a really important tool to have in our state's toolbox around creating wealth, around around providing home ownership for for families. So, you know, overall, we just think that there's a lot of great reasons and many more that we didn't even get to highlight is uh, for people to be supporting multifamily home ownership. I really appreciate the emphasis um, at the beginning on how a lot of Americans are actually already living. Um, one of the reasons why why I was so excited to to work with you on this report is that it's a it's a report about types of housing tenure, which is something that we focus on. Tenure is that legal and cultural glue that um, binds us to our housing. And for those folks who want a little bit of a kind of housing tenure one hundred and one, um, the most recent Substack that was written uh, on this is about housing tenure one hundred and one. So I just urge you to to look through this. But so many times when we write ideas about types of housing that can make a difference in the housing crisis in California or in the racial wealth gap or in so many of our related housing issues, 
we're trying to sell a ter- certain type of tenure. Oh, hey, this is, if, if only we would all do it this way. And that's not what this report does, right? This report starts with, hey, we're already doing a lot of these things. We're doing it informally. We may be doing it without a lot of support. It's hard to do it this way. It's not what most people are building or what most people are able to buy or what most people maybe know about. Uh, And I think that's such an important part of the vibe of the report, that it's really starting with the housing system that we have and asking questions about how we can make these tenures more available, more secure. Uh, Some of them are already, quote unquote, naturally more affordable, but they can even be made to be, I believe, more affordable. And as you said, I think that if we take this attitude, hopefully this approach around asking more questions about homeownership, about who owns homes, and, and finding different and diverse ways of making homeownership possible, it can be a bit of a unifier uh, in divisive housing politics. After all, as you said, there's, there's something in here if you believe land use regulations are a big part of our housing crisis, and if there's, there's something in here if you believe community ownership uh, is a big part of the solution to our crisis. And I know that those two groups are not always aligned. Uh, but I think both of them can benefit uh, from our perspective on on multifamily homeownership. So this kind of political unity question for me is is something that I'm hoping for as a, a bit of an outcome in terms of what people can get from this report. For you and CCB, in addition to this, you know, hope for unity, what are some of the other things that you're hoping that will come out of this report? And, and who are you hoping will really take a look and dig in? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And, you know, I hope I'm not undercutting, uh, you know, sort of my own expertise in this issue is as part of why we took this report on and part of why we've spent so much of our own organizational time and energy working with you on it is we needed to educate ourselves like before we can educate our community before we can educate stakeholders. I needed to make sure that that me and my colleagues at CCB really understood this issue. I was not born an expert on multifamily homeownership. Um, if you would have talked about it, and I'm sure when we first started talking about this report, in my head, I was just like, great, we're going to write about condos. But through this report, you know, I really got a chance to learn a lot more about condos, which is not something I, I you know, had a, an insane amount of expertise on, but also the other ways in which people can own homes together and the other opportunities we have around community land trusts, around tenancies in common, around informal multifamily home ownership. And, and so first and foremost, it really was making sure that as we advocate the, for these issues, CCB uh, can have expertise and can be as educated as possible in the things that we think are very important, that we understand are very complicated, and that we won't ever say, um, you know, we know everything at all times. So that was number one. And then number two, you know, I, I think while, as you and I have, you know, mentioned, housing politics, housing policy in California is divisive. People argue. Um, it can be intense. But I think there's a lot of reasonable people out there. I think there's a lot of reasonable people out there who are looking for solutions. And my hope is that, especially for those folks that are in politics and in public policy, advocacy, and organizing, that they can take a report like this. And even if they don't read all 96 pages of it, you know, they take bits and pieces that really speak to them. You know, they they get curious about some parts maybe they weren't as familiar with. They think about how it can apply to their own work, be it in housing production, be it in wealth building, be it in environmental justice. And and think about maybe um, this document is something that that helps them in their work, maybe perhaps helps them think about uh, their issues a little differently or, or is additive to their work. Um, and then also thinks about, it helps them perhaps think, think about ways in which they can come together with other folks who may not agree on everything that they, they work on or who may not be in the exact um, policy area they are, but but who perhaps would be good allies on this specific issue. Um, so that's number two. And then number three, um, one of the things we want to make do make sure that we always do at CCB is that that we're educating ourselves, we're educating other, you know, policy and political leaders, um, but that we're also educating our community. You know, at the end of the day, if community and specifically communities of color don't understand the work that CCB is doing, don't understand these broader issues around housing, home ownership, and wealth building, then what are we doing it for? And and, and I think at times you can really see the impact of leaving people of color out of these very important policy discussions, making it so that we're on the table, not at the table of policymaking. And so my hope is that, and and I think we have, you know, modestly, you know, created a document with your help, Alex, that lays out what, from a certain perspective, could be a complicated policy issue, could be a complicated housing, housing tenure issue, 
in a way that's hopefully as, as plain English as, as possible. And in a way that is something that like my mom understands that my dad understands that my cousin, who's, who's a 21 year old, old welder, even though I probably am not going to get him to, to sit down and like read this report, uh, cover to cover, you know, he'll get the eight reasons like in, and hopefully it'll, it'll maybe even make him be a little curious about some of the things that I work on and, and, and about the way that he thinks about housing, because he's getting to an age where he's looking, he's, he's thinking about what home he's going to buy. And maybe he's going to, maybe he's going to leave the central Valley and move closer to work. And maybe this is an idea that that could be attractive to him. So those those are the three three areas, you know, educating CCB, educating other policy, political and advocacy stakeholders, and then educating the communities that that we advocate for. I can't say enough about how wonderful it was and sadly kind of rare as a researcher to engage in a in a project, especially a project that has a client and that has a little bit of funding behind it and that is really so open-ended where both parties, I think, were really committed to learning and opening our eyes from day one. And I think we both learned a ton on this. Um, I wish all housing research that I did was the same way. You know, this is trying, I'm trying to be a bit of a no bullshit space here about housing. And I think there are other housing researchers who listen and who read. And I know many of us have had experiences where oftentimes we put a lot of really quality work into proving something essentially that we already know and that we've proved, proven before. Uh, this is really different for me and I think for you. And I hope that, uh, that other, that folks approach this report with a kind of an open in mind, knowing that I don't think other reports have covered this territory in the same way. And it's partly because yeah, you and CCB gave us a, uh, the space to do that and encouraged us to do that. And it's just been a really fantastic partnership. And I really appreciate that openness. Um, so as a final sort of step on helping people understand what's in the report, and again, May 31st, there's the webinar where you'll see Adam and I at a PowerPoint. Uh, you can already get into the report. It's written in a really accessible and absolutely gorgeous, in my opinion. Thank you, Michelle Nazal, uh, for your incredible design work. The report is written in a kind of way, like you said, to try to be accessible. There's some big ideas. There's some big pieces to it. It's long. Uh, but I'm hoping for po folks to even just have a time to pop in uh, and bounce around a little bit that it will help them start to see housing and homeownership and community ownership uh, in new and in different ways. What are for you some of the kind of highlights? You know, is if there's a, a, a few slides you think that people should look at, if, if there's a few facts you think people should know, uh, beyond the eight reasons, uh, which I believe is in slide three, <laughs> right up at the top. What else uh, should people dig into the report uh, in hopes that they're going to find? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, for me, I, I, I think the things that are most interesting is first, like, I think you you and the CCB team, because I, I really don't want to claim too much credit. Like I, I think I spent most most of my time focused on the cover graphic. Uh and, and it was really you and our colleagues at CCB that that wrote the thing. Um, but I think for me, you know, one of the more interesting things that that I think we did here and that was accomplished is breaking this into different buckets around the kind of economics of multifamily homeownership. So we have the market rate section, and that's primarily focused on condos. And then we have the capital A affordable income restricted section focused on CLTs and, and other areas. And then we have the more informal side um, where we're really just thinking about people that come together um, in, in, as you would guess, a less formal structure to, to buy a home. And so for me, what came out of that that was really interesting is how we pay for all this stuff. So really thinking through on the market rate side, like, do banks want to lend for this type of product? And what are the what's the mortgage situation like? And is it kind of is it more expensive to get a mortgage for this type of thing? And and how do banks think about uh, underwriting for a mortgage for multifamily homeownership versus a single family house? Uh, and then on the affordable side, you know, thinking through like what funding like really exists to build this stuff and and what's available and sneak preview. There's not a lot of money out there. Um, and then on the informal side. Really thinking through, like, wow, this is this is something that I have actually heard anecdotally more and more people being interested in. Again, sort of having some examples from my own family's history and, and thinking through, you know, kind of the dearth of information that's out there, and and I think just the 
the opportunity for for more study uh, that that has really kind of come out of this this report around the informal multifamily homeownership issue, and then looking at some of our recommendations, um, there are plenty. Really thinking through for me the the thing that comes out because I, I've seen more and more in the news, you know, things around condo defect uh, issues, which I think are very important. But this this idea that we ask people that come together um, to to own a building together. Like once you're once the building's built, once the units are sold, it's sort of like, you know, the government and 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 the lender and the private sector are just sort of like, you know, kind of pat you on the back and say, I hope it works out for you. And, and really thinking through, you know, do we manage these buildings right? You know, what are the what are the guardrails we put in as a as a government, as a as a society for for people that come together to come together to do this? And what are the ways we could maybe do it better? Because I think one of the things that we've seen, unfortunately, um, around the country is that when things like homeowners association and, and groups of folks owning things together, um, when things don't work out, they they don't work out in a in a fairly spectacular manner. And so I think that there's both more research, more policy, and, and just more thinking in general that could be done around how we structure these shared ownership situations, what could we do better, what could we learn from other places. And so to me, that's that's a really exciting opportunity that came out of this report. It is uh, fascinating and, and a bit terrifying when we dig into the some of the challenges that multifamily homeownership situations, the system that is out there that's designed to support these uh, households is is thin. It's under-supported. It's, it's just not quite... If our goal is to really ensure that these types of housing tenure and these types of homeownership are safe and secure and beneficial to folks, we just yeah, don't have that support network out there. And I think that's for me in some ways is... is it's gotten me thinking about what does a supportive homeownership system look like? Uh, beyond some of the sort of basic pieces we have inherited from the post-war era, right? Some of the basic guarantees, we think, you know, certain types of financing, we have the mortgage income tax deduction. We have pieces of the support system that are out there. We have a HUD homeownership counseling system. We have, the, we have, there's a lot of very trained realtors out there. And I think we should have a realtor coming onto the show at some point, hopefully soon here uh, at Housing After Dark. But does it all add up to a system that supports, uh, a very diverse set of home of, of, of homeownership types in the United States. And that's what I, I'm hoping that folks can really take from that, especially folks who are experienced in this world. I think if, if you're new to housing or if you're new to thinking about homeownership uh, or housing tenure, I think there's a lot, hopefully there'll be a lot of really interesting things that you might not have thought about in terms of how housing is owned. But if you're somebody who's been a realtor or a builder or in the real estate industry or homeownership counselor, I hope that you see in here and are willing to work with us in partnership on kind of designing that supportive system. I mean, there's a lot of really important opportunities out there for community-based organizations, nonprofit groups, affordable housing developers, community land trusts, realtors, uh, small builders, large builders, uh, and even major investors, I think, to be able to participate in a more supportive multifamily homeownership environment that really just, yeah, makes not only the American dream and certain types of homeownership available to folks, uh, but makes it more secure for those who already have it. And I think creates a lot of Interesting opportunities in the middle. I mean, one thing we, we don't talk about maybe enough in this report is how multifamily homeownership can also be a really great way of providing ample and affordable rental opportunities for folks. These things are not mutually exclusive, uh, but there is some work to be done. We, we talk a little bit, for instance, about some of the Fannie and Freddie rules, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the government-sponsored entities who play a very important role in the housing market by buying uh mortgages uh, from the mortgage originators like banks, um, often will have limits on the percentage of condominium units that can be rented. And while this makes sense on the one hand, if, you know, if it's homeownership versus rental, we know that that's a politics that doesn't work. Trying to find a way in which uh, we have that fluidity and we have that diversity of tenure and both are secure and both are are, you know, if that's the type of tenure that works for you, that both of them are available. But I'm again, I'm hoping folks that have experience in the real estate industry will see some possibilities uh, for them and for the rest of the industry 
to maybe do things a little bit differently with regards to multifamily homeownership, but there's a lot of real opportunity to grow businesses. Uh, and while we're also at the same time uh, growing the number of homes that are available in this way. One of the things, as you know, is when we talk to people about this report, people always want to kind of get down to the brass tacks. Okay, so what we, should we do? It's great. Thank you for teaching me all about multifamily homeownership and all of its challenges and opportunities. What for you are some of the things in the report, some of the next steps in terms of actions that folks can take? And this is whether it's research or policy advocates or industry itself. If we're going to realize some of the dreams in this report, what do you think that we need to do? Yeah, no, and, and this is another area where I think the collaboration has been really good between CCB and Schaffron Strategies, because I think you really pushed us to get away from this just X plus Y equals more condos, co-ops, and tenancies in common, and to really think a little bit bigger about the, the kind of ecosystem in which all this stuff exists. And so I think first and foremost is we need more research. Like what we don't know can hurt us. And right now, I, I think there's a lot of we don't know what we don't know uh, about this type of housing. I think part of part of the problem is that because the the industry itself is, you know, minuscule compared to the larger single family home home building industry, there's not a lot of economic incentive on the private side um, to sort of like fund and push this sort of this type of research. So first and foremost, we need more research, we need more attention. I also think we just can jump into a few sort of solutions around, you know, looking at states that do a better job around creating multifamily home ownership. You know, what are some ways that California is different? What lessons do we have to learn? And what are some areas where perhaps we are more of an outlier and it would make sense for us to, to be a little bit closer uh, to what other states do in, in terms of the way that they structure multifamily home ownership? So, for instance, you know, how do we think about the defect period? Uh, that drives um, a lot of uh, insurance costs and, and builder calculations around condos and other multifamily home ownership. I, I don't know that we have the perfect solution um, at the moment, but I think that there's some work to be done there. Um, I think one issue that we call out uh, that I think is really important and that there needs to be a significant amount of work done on is how we govern and how we sort of maintain these properties. I, I think the issue of homeowners associations is one uh, is one of if not the biggest weaknesses of, of the way in which multifamily homeownership plays out, it's certainly an area that I think has the most need for growth and, and maturation. Um, I'm someone that is very happy going to as few meetings as possible. Um, but when you own when you own a building uh, with uh, neighbors that you don't have any other relation to, and perhaps none of you uh, are professionals in the commercial real estate industry, I think there's a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong. And so I think that the way in which we structure that, we govern that, we regulate that, um, we need to take a hard look at it. And, and I think that there's a lot of room for improvement in that space. The other thing I think it's it, that I'm hoping for is that our report starts to shift some minds of folks in the development community. Uh, for instance, last night I was at a event uh, with a lot of real estate developers talking about the housing crisis. Uh, and especially when it's time for the developers themselves to talk, every single developer talked as if all multifamily home, all multifamily buildings were automatically going to be rentals. Um, it was as if the concept of condominiums or co-ops or multifamily homeownership didn't exist. It was kind of terrifying. Um, and I think that, the, and again, some of this is, as you said, this construction defect, laws, the way that financing and insurance and all of these other issues have uh, have made it so we simply just do not build condominiums in the way that we used to, or we build you build them as condominiums, but they become rentals for a very long time. And I think there's a, just an important shift that we have to make both in terms of the conditions on the ground, but I think also in some of the mentality uh, in the development industry about uh, what is good. And I'm hoping more and more developers uh, start to see themselves as people who make housing and then sell it to the people who will live there uh, or sell it to people who will, as individual uh, investors, will maybe rent their house out at some point and maybe live in it at some point. Um, but we've just there's just been this steady march towards the production of new housing as almost exclusively rental, whether it's affordable rentals or unaffordable rentals or market rate rentals, however you want to call them. Uh, uh, we've just not been prioritizing the construction of multifamily homeownership for a really long time. 
No, I, I, I agree. And the only thing I would add to that is in, in some ways, I, I think the one of the simpler equations in this whole process and problem is that I think once we create, you know, some amount of incentive for private sector builders, private sector lenders, private sector investors to frankly, like, you know, build a business off of creating more multifamily home ownership opportunities, you know, I think we'll see, I, I think we'll see a big change only because I, I think, whereas there are plenty of philosophical differences to work through on the policy, policy and advocacy side, um, for better or worse, I, I think that the home building industry on the private sector side is, is more than happy to follow where the returns are. And I think this is one of the key things that comes back to the benefits if your real systematic one size fits all doesn't approach doesn't work, right? So if you if you want to realize the kind of transformation in multifamily homeownership that we talk about, we've got to deal with insurance, we've got to deal with finance, we've got to deal with aspects of labor and you know and how the development industry is organized. We have to deal with how it's regulated, how it's supported. Uh, and even how it's imagined. We talk a little bit in the report about, you know, this question of like, is America culturally ready for a multifamily homeownership revolution? Uh, could the American dream, can it be broadened to include owning a condominium or owning a two-family house with your cousin? Uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that we talk about. And I think it's going to take this kind of holistic approach. So if you're a holistic housing thinker and you're looking for holistic housing, particularly holistic housing challenges, we welcome you to multifamily homeownership. I think it's a it's a great space to to make a lot of small little changes that I think can result in some really big transformations. So let's look ahead a little bit if we can't around MHO. We've talked about why it's important and what some of your hopes and dreams are with regards to who will take a look at it and what people will get at it. Let's imagine California a year from now or a few years from now. What are some of the things that you're hoping that will come out of this report concretely in terms of the future? This could be whether it's pieces of legislation or growth in multifamily homeownership opportunities. What do you want to see happen in California over the next few years uh, in this space? Yeah, so I, I think for CCB, um, I think first and foremost, we want to see multifamily home ownership in its sort of myriad of forms that that it happens. We want to see it treated and supported uh, just like every other form of home ownership. And we want to see it treated on the same level as, as single family housing. So we would like, you know, government entities, private sector uh, lenders and builders to, to treat it and, and, and to push for it, just like we do other types of home ownership and other types of housing. And, and we really hope that it enters into, you know, the government. The business and, and sort of the cultural lexicon in the way that we really think it should. Uh, we want to see more units produced, period. You know, obviously we at CCB believe we need a whole healthy housing ecosystem that's inclusive of rentals and for sale uh, property. And, and if there are families that want a single family home, that's fantastic. We think the market where it exists, you know, serves them well. But we think that for families that want to buy something that is shared with others, we don't think the market is there. We don't think that the government support is there. We think that there could be uh, a, a lot more done in that respect. So we, we would just like to see those units produced. We would like to see those buyers treated um, as other buyers are. Um, and we just want to see you know the, this type of housing really be pushed forward as a society because we really do think that if we're going to accomplish our sort of social equity goals, our climate goals, our transportation goals, that this type of housing, should it be treated as other types of housing, should it be supported like other other types of housing are um, could really be really be a great um, really great opportunity for the state. I do want to come back on a final note um, to this question of the racial wealth gap and to some of your kind of initial motivations. Um, so you know what does success in this space in the housing space look like for you? I mean, do you? You know, I know obviously you, you think about a lot of things on a day-to-day -day basis and often in very detailed solutions. We need to do X, we need to do Y, and we need to do Z. But, you know, if, when you hang them up in a few decades from now, um, what, what's the type of success or what's the type of California that you're hoping to build? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question and, and one... Certainly that, uh, you know, so, sometimes late at night, uh, you know, I, I kind of sit around thinking about and, you know, I think for me, it's um, it, it's complicated. 
Because on the one hand, you know, you, you mentioned Shaffron's strategies as a small company. CCB is, is also itself, you know, quite small, although we work, we work very hard. Um, so, you know, we, we try and be extremely ambitious in the work we do, but modest in our expectations in the short term. I mean, closing the racial wealth gap is going to be a generational like endeavor, and it's going to be one that I'm going to hand off to my nieces and nephews and, and kids should that happen. Um, and, and so I think for me, realistically, the 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 change I'm hoping to see in my career and uh, my lifetime is, you know, first and foremost, I fundamentally want to see more people of color driving decisions in the public policy space, in the housing space, in the business space, and in, in all spaces. I mean, you know, California is already a state that is majority people of color. By 2040, it'll be 70% people of color. Um, and, and I think one of the things we see in every policy area, not just housing, is oftentimes, uh, you know, we are not at the table. People speak on behalf of our communities and sort of the solutions proposed are not actually ones being put forward by us in our communities and in our best interests. So I think first and foremost, that's what I hope to see. And that's sort of unrelated to housing, that's unrelated to multifamily home ownership, but one in which I think is a, a, a crucial thing I, I'd like to see um, through the work that I do and uh, particularly through our leadership academy. And then I think second, more specific to housing, um, I would like to see, um, I, I think one thing that would be amazing is if we could have a more complicated, nuanced discussion about this incredibly complicated and nuanced topic, right? Like so often the issues that we work on get boiled down to their essentialness and to, to the one or two things that, that we're funded to do. When in fact, like we, this problem that we're all trying to solve was created over the past hundred years due to a multitude of things, some of which are specific to California, some of which are specific to federal policies. Um, some of them are accidents of history. Some of them are much more intentional. Um, but, but my hope is that eventually we can get past, I, I think, some of the more heated, simplistic rhetoric and, and kind of get to a point where, especially the folks that I think fundamentally agree, get to a point where, you know, we work together on the things that that we agree, we, where we disagree, you know, we find sort of the, the good heartedness on the other side of the table and, and, and think through, you know, be more curious about where those, where those um, intentions and feelings are coming from. We treat the, a complicated problem with the attention and, and nuance it deserves. And then I think just on the more technical side, like I honestly hope we can build more housing. Like I, I honestly think that we as Californians, you know, we, at least in, in my heart of hearts, you know, embrace immigrants. We as Californians, you know, want to want more people to come to, to the state. We want more people to come to our cities. We want more people in our neighborhoods. Like people are good. Like people are people are good, like just fundamentally. And so I think to the extent that we are welcoming open state that that everyone wants to come to and can come to, I think is the the ultimate dream uh, of California community builders. And to do that, I, I think everyone needs a place to live. People that were born here, people that co were come that come here, I think that they should be able to find a safe, affordable place to live, and hopefully, eventually, a place that can help them and their families build wealth. And and to me, that's the real California dream. I I, I think that sometimes saying that home ownership is is the American dream, the California dream, what have you, is a little too simplistic. And and I think what that dream really is is safety, it's security, it's flexibility. It's happiness. Um, and, and I think that when done right and in the best of situations, ideally in my heart of hearts, I, I, I think that the work we do around creating, you know, housing and, and home ownership, I think can get families to a lot of what they're trying to get to. And, and that's my dream. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for for being on the show, for having me and inviting me to be part of this work. Um, again, stay tuned for uh, May 31st for the debut webinar of our multifamily homeownership report. Uh, thank you so much to everybody for tuning in to Housing After Dark. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex.